Hello and welcome to Waters Wavelength podcast episode number 11. My name is Dan Francesco. I am the deputy editor of Southside Technology and I am joined as always by my co-host, the U.S. editor of Waters Technology, Anthony Malakian. How's it going? Not too bad, not too bad. So a couple different topics we have we're going to touch on today. Um, we're going to jump around. There's three main stories uh, to tease them. It's going to be a little bit about kind of exchanges, businesses evolving, Oliver Bussman at UBS kind of leading and leaving, and then uh, finally uh, Apple versus FBI. But to start, uh, we want to talk about exchanges and kind of their tr- transition into technology companies. And the basis for us deciding to talk about this is based off of an FIA Boca uh, panel conference, the FIA Boca conference panel that Anthony attended and wrote about uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, um, about a couple of the heads of different uh, exchanges kind of discussing how they've evolved into a lot more than strictly just trading and clearing and whatnot. And it's something that I've kind of touched on in a couple of profiles and features I've done. So to start, I'll let Anthony kind of give an overview of the panel and kind of what he took away and kind of talking to his sources and just overall in his experience, what he's seen in a shift in the business. And then I'll talk a little bit about uh, some experiences I have. Anthony? Sure. Um, so I was down in FIA Boca. Uh, they had a big exchange panel. Um People from uh, Jeffrey Specter from uh, Specker from uh, Ice. Uh, you had CME there. You had uh, a bunch of different uh, companies there <laughs> uh, up on stage. But basically, the conversation one of the area one of the topics that they talked about was this evolving role of what an exchange is and offers, and how they're becoming more technology companies than simply exchange, as you said. Um, Andreas Pruss uh, said that you know he predicts that you know the business that we do today, ten years from now, will be a fond memory. Um, most of their revenue that they see that most of their revenue will come from other interests outside of trading revenue um, within the next few years. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's kind of interesting. Um, you see it with acquisition stuff like that. Uh, I guess that the big concern that you hear from people is that. As these companies go out and uh, snag up different uh, companies, as these exchanges go out and uh, buy up different vendors, especially on the data side, what that ultimately means is that the cost is going to go up for the end user. Um, data is going to become much more expensive. Um, Faye Kilburn, our colleague over in Inside Market Data, has covered that space very closely, has written a lot of articles about how um just that the fees that that just keep on rising the cost of data keeps on going up and it's a it's a source of contention in the industry um you saw you see with this kind of demutualization where uh the exchanges used to be run by members and now they're being um publicly traded so they're not beholden to the members they're more beholden to the shareholders um the reason why i see tons of fees is that you know CEO comes up and says, listen, we need to hit our quarterly numbers. We need to do better than last quarter. Um, that means that the cost is going to get filtered down to the customer. Um, so, you know, th- there's a big concern, I guess. It, it, in some ways, it's very good because as banks move out of the space, as brokerages move out of the space of being technology providers, they'll fill in um, with very targeted solutions, hopefully targeted solutions that will uh, streamline and make the experience of trading on that particular platform be better, um, a, a much more uh, any kind of one-stop shop 
for everything that you need right there from the exchange. So in some ways that's good, um, but you know there's going to come a breaking point with the fees, with the costs that are being handed down uh, to the trading firms. Um, you know where this goes, how this uh, breaks out. Obviously, that's a conversation probably more for the inside market data folks, um, but it's something that has to be kept an eye on as more and more as consolidation of exchanges keeps on happening and as these exchanges go out and buy other data companies other vendor companies um it's it could be become a, a revenue or it could become a fee problem uh, for the industry yeah i think it's interesting reading your article immediately made me think of two stories i've written over the past couple of year past few years past year or so uh, one was my waters profile of lou ecclestein at uh, tmx and he's the ceo over at tmx and uh to put it you know frank when i reached out i was heading up to toronto for a conference and for one of our conferences the toronto financial information summit i think it's in sometime in june in the summertime and i was heading up there for a conference and i reached out to the folks at tmx said hey i'd love to sit down with some one of your technology people and instead they offered up their ceo which you'd think maybe you know why wouldn't you know i'm sure he'd be busy with stuff and but he was pretty frank and he didn't really have a background in exchanges, but he talked a lot about all these other businesses. And at the end of the day, you know, the title of the story was Master Chef because he was good at bringing in different ingredients and that's what they had brought him in. They have all these separate pieces of the business and kind of getting it all over the same umbrella. And really, we didn't talk specifically about the exchange business, the pure exchange business. It was the, you know, market that and all this other stuff. So I think that's one example. And the other probably bigger example is just reaching out to folks. One of my first stories was on exchanges selling their platforms, their trading platforms to developing markets and how, you know, with everyone I talked to, that was a huge, huge business piece uh, for them and how that was big time business because they weren't getting the same money just purely from their trading and clearing business. So they had to kind of package these, commoditize these trading platforms and sell them out to developing areas, developing markets that kind of wanted to kind of plug and play thing. So I think those are two examples of, you know, that they're going to have to broaden their base. And, you know, some people like you bring up a good point with the fees. It's kind of debatable now. Let's see what's going to happen in the end. But one thing that did crack me up about your story is, um, one of the, uh, one of the, the people, um, said, uh, I think it was Preaker said that, you know, a lot of our shareholders ask us, well, why don't we just spin out the exchange, uh, part of this, you know, and, and have it as a separate entity. And he said, well, you know, uh, we can't do that because that's what brings the people in. No kidding. Who are these shareholders that are saying this? You know, if Connor, Walt Disney World, right? Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. Space Mountain is not a great ride, okay? It's basically cat and mouse, a cat and mouse, old school cat and mouse game. But they still have it because Peg and Jim from Nebraska want to bring their kids to ride on Space Mountain because it's what they feared about and it's been around for 50 years. So Space Mountain isn't going anywhere. It's the same thing with these exchanges. They're, you know, the bread and butter is these exchanging and it might not be as big a business, but that's what bringing them in. And then once you're inside, then you're going to buy the t-shirt and the mouse ears and you're going on this and you're going to spend all this different money. But it, who are these people? That's, yeah, let's spin it. That just seemed like, I mean, I'm no businessman. That seems like one of the most ridiculous ideas I've ever heard. Yeah. Um, and yeah, when Sparker was saying that, you know, you saw everybody in the audience kind of just start chuckling about it. Um, yeah, I'm not sure why anybody would think that if you got rid of the exchange, that that would be good for business you know but yeah it seems it seems a bit absurd but i mean i think i guess long term and you know this is speculation and people hate to speculate long term 
Anthony, what's your perspective on, is it just going to, are we going to see more and more consolidation and eventually are we going to be, you know, we love talking about sports. We just always talk about it. It's going to be eventually just the big five conferences. Are we just going to see like the big three exchanges and just them consolidating to, to a, a few massive entities or wh- oh, what do you think? We, is there going to be a breaking point? It already is kind of that really. Um, you know, there's not a lot of places to go, you know, that's uh, true. Fair I point. mean, sure. Th- it's funny because you talk about fragmentation, how much fragmentation there is in the market and how many different exchanges. And internationally, especially like when you're dealing with Asia, that's certainly the case, uh, Asia Pacific region. Um, but I mean, really, you know, it's it's becoming just a, a smaller and smaller world um, as far as the biggest players. And then you have a couple specialty places that will always be around. But um, the way I view it is it's kind of like how the universe uh, expands and it contracts, you know, is, is a theory that exists. Uh, Boy, you know, here we yeah, go, exactly. astrology talk. <laughs> um, similarly, there's going to be, a, we're in a big consolidation period right now. Um, eventually, what you're going to see is there will be some competitors that will come in, will uh, create something uh, that will be useful, but that was another interesting point. Actually, you know, just to jump off uh, topic here a little bit, that was another interesting bro- point that was brought up uh, during the panel discussion, where they asked, "Can a company like Ice be created again? Is it possible in today's marketplace to have that happen yet again, where you have this, you know, little exchange in Atlanta that ends up going out and taking over, you know, the." the the standard bearer for uh for what is considered finance you know and trading capital markets um specker said that it is possible that it's just going to you know it takes true innovation but what that innovation is going to become interesting it's going to become a, a challenge because as technology rapidly advances as um, we see just new and new capabilities being rolled out every single year. The 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 jumps that you see just in like think about storage. You know how much information data can be stored today, whereas that used to be a competitive advantage maybe in the past. Now it's you know you, there's tons of storage options sure, that you have. Sure. So I think that uh it it'll take some innovation. It'll take some you know really trying to find a niche, but uh. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, ultimately, what the hell do I know? Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a way to put a nice bow on uh, your entire opinion. Um, moving shit. Shifting gears to uh, some people moves that broke actually uh, late yet later yesterday. Yesterday, uh, Oliver Busman, the CIO at UBS, someone that we profiled, I believe it was a year ago, January 2015. I think, fe- I think February. I think, or February. Yeah. February. Yeah, you're right. February 2015, we profiled. He has announced that he will be uh, leaving UBS. Uh, he's going to be replaced by their uh, COO, who is uh, Axel Lehman. Um, so, you know, his resignation was confirmed. Uh, we got it confirmed. A spokesperson said, technology information remains a key topic for UBS, our innovation labs around the world, and our digital hub at Level 39 in London continue to drive innovation. Let me just jump innovation. in here and just say, sure. <laughs> I, I love to say people with their, yeah. it's like, oh, that's, that's, that's very helpful. We're happy to hear that because Oliver is leaving, that you guys aren't just going to pack up shop and say, ah, screw it. We're not, we're done with technology. I was going to say, talk about saying less with more like jesus anyway uh so 
he moved, so he announced that he's moved. No word yet on where he's heading. Uh, the big thing to know about Busman is that he's huge on the blockchain, huge on fintech, really innovative guy. I looked it up today. He has 16.1 thousand followers on Twitter. You don't see that from a lot of C-level uh, executives in the technology space in financial services. You see it from technology guys, but not you know banking and and hedge fund asset management guys. So kind of now the speculation begins. Where's he going to go? What's he going to do? Anthony and I have differing opinions. I'll start. I'll throw mine out there first. I think this seems it's too wrapped up perfectly. And Anthony, jump in at any point when you want. It seems too there's too much of a perfect bow on this. You know, they came right, right away. There wasn't the rumors of him going or anything. It was pretty much, yep, he's going. This is it. That's it. He's gone. It's it's fine. I feel like he's going to still stay involved. Uh, Level 39, their digital hub. They're doing a lot of blockchain stuff or they're looking to do a lot of blockchain stuff i could see him maybe moving into more of a mentor role kind of stepping back from the c-level stuff uh i know anthony you have a differing opinion w- what do you think it might come out of a uh, busman might end up doing well yeah and it says that he's a mentor at level 39 and we'll see where that goes i guess it's possible that he goes to a company that is in the ubs sphere but the way i, I i'd be shocked if he's not looking to create something on the line with uh, was a digital asset with like with Blythe master like, r3 i think was the i could be wrong i have to check I, I think ubs was directly involved with r3 in their experience but also digital asset holdings with uh Blythe masters sure a bunch of out there so i think it's just gonna he's gonna go into something along those lines where he's gonna look to be the head he's been banging on about how blockchain is going to be revolutionary in the capital markets, in finance, um, really even banking and stuff like that. Um, so I would be very surprised if he's not the head heading up a big blockchain related project. Would be my guess on this. I mean, to me, this it seems a little you know talk about taking a a, a jump off the the high dive. Everyone I've spoken to about blockchain. That's, you know, in the know, so to speak, not, you know, Joe Schmo that thinks he knows about blockchain has said we're years, not months. You know, people like to say we're years out from seeing actually commercial product, blockchain products in the market implemented at banks, asset managers, hedge funds. So to to make this move, and I guess you say, well, you wait too long and it's not going to make sense for you to make that move. But the guy was at the top of the top of the block, you know, at one of the biggest banks in the world and steps down so he can kind of take this and take an endeavor with the blockchain. I guess it's a big plus and a big, you know, score for the blockchain community if he ends up at a blockchain startup because it shows how much, you know, potential really high, high, high level see in it. But I don't know. I mean, another reason kind of towards my theory that he's still going to be involved with UBS is he's still tweeting out. I looked at his feed. He's still tweeting out stuff, you know, stories he's written back in January involved with, um, with level 39 and whatnot. So I still feel there's going to be something tying him back there. But I mean, what did, were you surprised at all by this, Anthony? Nah, I mean, I've been here for seven years and I mean, every, within about two years after we put somebody on our cover, generally they move on to something different. Whether that's great. That's great to say well, no, no. for all those people out there that want to get put on our cover. Be a selling point that, you know, you move on to bigger and better things that you use this as part of, you know, how many people get to go into a job interview, have the resume and then have a glossy magazine with their face on it, you know? 
the, you're you're a half glass you're a glass half full kind of guy. I'm a glass half empty kind of guy. I'm looking at like the SI coveraging, so the Madden coveraging. So like you put it on that, you're gonna get injured the following year. But I like I like your perspective on that. Uh, so I guess that's that's all on Busman. Like we said, it's all speculation now. Nothing all hearsay. We haven't heard anything confirmed yet. Uh, moving on to another topic, uh, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast and Anthony wrote a great opinion piece about it. The Apple FBI battle uh, is essentially over. Uh, It came out that Apple announced that they have, no, I'm sorry, FBI announced that they have figured out a way to hack the phone essentially and they no longer needed uh, legal uh, you know, interference. A third party came in um, according to the FBI a third party an unnamed third party came in and helped them to hack into the phone and get to the information that they wanted to i guess it's the big concern that you know you have for you know people like me that are naturally skeptical and you know always wondering what the government's kind of up to on some things uh but uh you know is that there's not a lot of information on what they did it's been uh marked as classified so we don't know who the company is they don't we don't know how they went about doing it um did they were they did this third party create a product that can now hack into every iphone we don't really know um it's short on details right now so um i think that the the interesting thing for people in the technology space and just for people in general is you know, I think I've, I've, we've had conversation at the bar about this, but privacy is going to be one of the biggest, if not the biggest topic, you know, over the next, you know, couple decades, I think. Um, you know, who we put on the Supreme Court and stuff like that, these privacy issues are going to keep on popping up. Um, you saw with Regulation AT, Reg AT, which uh, I wrote a feature on that will be out. Uh, I think uh, we're planning on putting up tomorrow, Friday. Um, but with Reg AT, how... The, they wanted to create it where you had to hand over your source code to your trading um, operations. At, if the if the regulators or if the Justice Department asks for it, you have to hand over your your um, your source code, which contains all your trading strategy. It tra- it contains everything that you're that you've done. It contains everything that you will do, depending on what it's a, happens. It's a month. firm's lifeblood. So um, the fact that they right now they need a subpoena for it. So right now it's always worked and the. the the government saying, ah, you know, we need this in case there's another big, you know, crash or, you know, another night capital. We need to, well, you get a subpoena. You do it the right way. Um, so I think that there's people that are concerned with how how little information has been presented on how the FBI went about getting this inf- uh, getting into that phone um, and what that will mean. You know, you, you're, you're slowly seeing the government trying to, trying to come in and, you know get their hands into technology companies, into trading companies, get their hands into corporations. Um, I think that that's going to be an interesting topic that we're going to have to pay attention to um, as we move forward. Is it possible that this could all just be an entire bluff by the FBI? Essentially, they went up against Apple. They didn't realize how hardcore everyone would come against them. And now they're saying, oh, yeah, we had a third party help it, but it's all in wraps. And actually nothing happened. They didn't weren't able to hack the phone and they nothing was able to come about it. I, you know, I, yeah, if you, if you let go with the conspiracy theory, I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. I don't know. Um, so it'll be interesting to see in the coming months or weeks, if all of a sudden they have new evidence that comes out of this case and then they can kind of point it towards, you know, this is what, you know, because that would be the big win, I guess, for the FBI is if they actually did hack this phone and it turns out there is 
information in the phone that could stop a potential attack. Uh, I, yeah, you another know, terrorist cell or type, something Another like terrorist cell or something like that. And then they could turn around and say, see, look at this. If Apple would have helped us out, we could have stopped them months earlier. I mean, who knows? Or maybe the FBI plants <laughs> information about the Ooh, Brussels doggy. attack in the phone saying we could have stopped the Brussels attack. About, I mean, now, now we're getting into uh, the, you know, now we're getting into the Howl yeah. at the Moon conspiracy yeah, series. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, I think that's it for, you know, fintech news. Uh, shifting gears a little bit. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll jump in here. So, as many of you listeners may know and readers of Orders may know, Dan DeFrancesco is still, at the you know at, at his age, a big fan of the WWE. You have to preface it with still. Still, because, you know, there, there should be a little bit of shame. It's like, hey, listen, you can go home and watch all the soap operas you want, but you know, I mean, to be to be outwardly as a fan of it, I don't know. Okay, well, let me let me just stop you right here. First of all, the first knock people say is, you know, it's fake, right? Okay, guess what? Every single television sh- you show you watch is fake. Every single reality television show you watch is fake. <laughs> yes, I'm not an idiot. I understand that wrestling is staged, but it's still awesome. It's still entertainment. So what's the difference between me going home and watching Monday Night Raw and you going home and watching? I don't know, the, you know, whatever, a television show, Breaking Bad. Wow, you couldn't think of one television show. No, you know what the problem was? The first television show that popped in my head was the O.J. Simpson trial, and then I thought, crap, that actually is real. That's that's basically a documentary um, with just fake people. But uh, so, and also, to your point about I can't believe Dan still watches wrestling, I will bet my paycheck Sunday, so Sunday is WrestleMania, biggest event of the year. I will bet my paycheck that Sunday night, starting at about 5 o'clock East Coast time, the number one trending topic in the world will be WrestleMania. Just like every Monday night, it's Monday Night Raw. Just like every Thursday, it's Thursday Night SmackDown. There's a huge following of wrestling, okay? There's an absolutely huge following of wrestling. That following might be 7 to 15-year-olds, but it's still a huge following, and they're very vocal. All right, um, all right. so you're, you're, we're through with you defending yourselves. Let's see here. We have, I'm just looking at the thing, at the schedule right now. We have the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. We have Triple H versus Roman Reigns. We have Brock Lesnar, former mixed martial arts uh, heavyweight champion, UFC heavyweight champion, fighting some guy, Dean Ambrose. We have Shane O'Mac, Shane McMahon, the son of Vince McMahon, fighting The Undertaker. It's amazing that The Undertaker's still in there. Well, yeah. The the other matches, people that don't know wrestling won't care. If you do care about wrestling, my email's there. Send me an email. I'd love to chat with you about wrestling. I'll have you over to my house on Sunday. Well, tell us, Um, what is the, the, the match that you... Dandy Francesco are most excited about. Uh, the, the biggest match is Taker, Undertaker versus Shane, Shane McMahon. The, the thing you need to understand, long story short, it's a Hell in a Cell match, which is essentially a steel cage with a ceiling on top. So it's a, a completely enclosed cage. Uh, for those of you that know anything about wrestling or have ever seen Mankind, who's Long Island's own Mankind, was once thrown off the top of this by The Undertaker onto a table, which is about, what, 30 feet high, probably? Probably three-story drop onto a hardwood table. So well, it's not always real, the storylines. The bumps that they take are very, very real. <laughs> absolutely. And so the biggest match is Shane McMahon versus Undertaker. Undertaker is, I believe, 55. He's in his mid-50s. Um, Shane McMahon is 46 years old. The awesome thing about Shane McMahon is it, yes, it's Vince's son in real life. This isn't his stage name. And essentially 
he's, you know, Vince's a multi-million or billion, depending on how the WWE stock is doing. Uh, he's a very rich man. His son, Vince Shane, would never have to work a day in his life, but he still chose to wrestle. And he wasn't kind of a cheap wrestler where he wouldn't, where he'd take kind of cheap falls. He had some serious, if you go on YouTube and just search Shane McMahon highlight reel, He's fallen off, you know, he jumped 50 stories. One of my favorite things was, uh, one of my all-time favorite wrestling memories was, I was a huge Kurt Angle fan, and when he did the German suplex into what I think was supposed to be like a fake wall or something, and he just went headfirst into it. So so it was supposed to be a shatterproof glass, and it wasn't, it was like plexiglass, so he does a German suplex, he gets thrown, Shane's got his feet up in the air, he hits this, expecting to fly through, and it just stops him, and then he just drops and lands on his head and you can hear the thud of Shane's head hitting the concrete ended up having a concussion then on top of that he told Kurt Angle throw me through it again got thrown through again so he's crazy he's a crazy person and despite being rich and having a family and being able to be like ah uh, he you know he runs essentially Netflix of China right now and he's you know successful in his own right he still decides no I want to come back I want to wrestle so it's going to be awesome if you're not a fan um I don't know what to tell you. It's the biggest event of the year. People that you know from pop culture, The Rock, Stone Cold, all of them will be back as well for this match. So, so quickly, let's prediction for the uh, the Hell in a Cell match. So I think uh, I, I, I'm 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 voting with my heart. I want to say Shane wins because if Shane wins, he gets to take over the comp. That's part of the stipulation. Yes, this is insane. He gets to take over Raw, and uh, and if he does, I think there's going to be a whole change in the WWE dynamic. So fingers crossed. I think Shane wins, but I also think Vince comes out and Undertaker beats up Vince and then lets Shane win as a kind of fu to Vince uh, in his one of his final matches. Okay, and then uh, prediction for Triple H Roman Reigns. Uh, I, everyone's been saying that Roman Reigns is going to win. Triple H is kind of a, a, a band-aid, kind of just holding the title. Roman Reigns, related to The Rock, he's Polynesian descent, uh, played football actually at Georgia Tech, was all uh, was um, all ACC linebacker, huge monster dude, very young guy, is essentially the future face of the company. Uh, so this seems to be his shining moment in Jerry's world to, uh, to win the title in in front of what's uh, expected to be, I believe, the biggest indoor crowd at an event uh, ever. Okay. And then uh, keeping on with the predictions end of this, um, Final Four, you were horribly wrong and pre- predicted that Michigan State would make it the final. But of the four teams that are left, and I don't even know who the four teams are, <laughs> who do you got uh, winning so the it's, thing? So it's Villanova versus Oklahoma on one side, Cuse versus UNC on the other. Uh, Nova was a two seed, Oklahoma was a two seed, UNC was a one seed. Cuse is the one outlier, I believe they were a ten seed. Uh, I will say, I think on the uh, the left side of the bracket, the Nova-Oklahoma side, Buddy Heald of Oklahoma has been awesome. He's kind of a crowd favorite. I think that Nova has been relying on the three too much. I think Oklahoma wins on that side. And then on the other side, um, I mean, Cuse is a nine-point underdog, uh, but they've won some crazy games already. They were, I think, an eight-point underdog to Virginia. The zone defense just really screws people up for, you know, say what you will about it. So... I'll get crazy. I'll go Cuse. And then Oklahoma Cuse in the final, I'll say uh, Oklahoma. So fully expected to be Nova versus UNC with UNC. Winning. Yeah, that's what it'll probably be. <laughs> so uh, I guess that's that's about it. Um, as always, we'd love to hear your feedback. You know, if you have something, a topic, you know, we, we always have ideas for topic. But you have a topic you really think would be worthwhile. Send us a tweet. Send us an email. Anthony and I, both of our uh, contact details are at the bottom of this post. So uh, definitely be sure to, to let us know. But other than that, Anthony, you have anything else to add? That's all I got.
All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us. As always, um, have a great weekend, and we'll be back here next Thursday.